Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I'll be hosting today's episode, and I am joined today by Josh Seligman, who is currently the owner of Thrive Health and Performance. But prior to opening Thrive, Josh was the head strength and conditioning coach for the Milwaukee Brewers, and prior to that, he worked in the Miami Marlins organization. Josh is a great guy with a wealth of knowledge about high performance, high performance habits, nutrition, training. And today we dive into detail specifically around how to build a schedule in season and use the weight room to actually improve on-field performance with things like improving mobility, recovery, maintaining your strength, power, and how to organize all of that within a week. We talk a lot about baseball because of Josh's background, but everything that he talks about is relevant to any sport and any athlete that is wanting to maintain and actually improve on-field performance during the season. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm joined today by Josh Seligman. Josh has had a long run as a strength and conditioning coach in professional baseball. He started with the Miami Marlins organization, and then he got into the big leagues with the Milwaukee Brewers and was their head strength and conditioning coach. So Josh still lives in the Milwaukee area, and he now owns Thrive Health and Performance, where he's bringing his skill set and his more holistic performance mindset to both competitive and recreational athletes in our area. So Josh, thanks for taking the time to come on today. Excited to to dive into it and talk some base, baseball and performance today. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. So I always like to just start with background for people that are listening that may not know you. Um, how What's kind of your story? How did you get into strength conditioning and, and get into baseball as your specialty? Uh, yeah, I kind of... Um... I didn't necessarily anticipate going into strength and conditioning. Uh, when I started college, I thought I was going to be a physics major. I was good at math, um, but I was playing baseball at the time and I, I wasn't the greatest athlete. So I, I was always working out and um, trying to get any competitive edge I could over the better athletes. And it just so happened my sophomore year, my roommate was a kinesiology major and I watched him do some of his labs and assignments. And I'm like, that's way cooler than what I'm doing in physics right now. So um, I actually changed majors at the time, which can seem a little daunting. I guess you're already a, a year and a little bit into, into a major, but uh, you know, I decided to make the change and it was the best thing for me. I was super interested in all the classes I was taking, um, which made it a lot easier to study. And it just really clicked for me. Um, As I got to my senior year, I thought I was going to go into sports nutrition. Uh, That's what I was interested in at the time. Uh, Just the chemistry of the human body and how that could help people perform better was, was a big interest. So I went to grad school for a sports nutrition master's. And um, got about three quarters of the way through that. And then took, um, I was personal training at the time. And some of my clients were having some referred shoulder pain, which I now know was was biceps tendonitis from a weak rotator cuff. But I wanted to figure out a way to treat them better. So I tried to take um, an athletic training class. And for those who don't know, athletic training itself is is hard to get into. Um they're pretty protective about their program. So I had to sit down with uh, the head of the program and she grilled me for like an hour and a half. And next thing I knew I was 
taking athletic training class. I was in the athletic training room working with the athletes at the University of Hawaii. And just, it was awesome. Like, I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Um, so I decided to pursue a master's in sports medicine, which was athletic training there. Ended up getting two master's degrees. And that whole time I knew I wanted to be in baseball. So I was trying to gear all my research projects, all my internships, everything for baseball. And then when I was finally ready to graduate, um, which was like 10 years there, um, <laughs> I uh, I was able to get my foot in the door with the Marlins in their minor league system. And um, they didn't have strength coaches back then. So you're basically in the minor leagues as an athletic trainer. You're overseeing the team. You know, anyone gets hurt or something happens in the game, you're the, you're the first one there and you're helping make sure they try to stay healthy through what's, what's really a grueling season. I mean, baseball's every single day. Um, but at the time I was also doing strength and conditioning. And so, um, uh, after three years of doing that, we had a coordinator position, which is the guy in the minor leagues who oversees all of, um, all the minor league trainers. Um, and he was, he was responsible for the strength and conditioning program. It was actually a friend of mine who left. Um, so I applied for that position and got it as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, did that with the Marlins for three years and then got my big break with Milwaukee. So kind of a long story, but that's that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, no, I think that's great. We get just so many questions of athletes. I mean, kind of similar to you that we're working with and and they're in high school and they're starting to think through what they want to do. And it's like, Oh, I think I might want to do what you do. I might want to do, you know, X, do something in my sport. And so it's just nice to share these stories because some of the kids that are listening, like do want to try to do this and they can hear how challenging it can be, how much school, how long you have to go to school for potentially and how, yeah, like you've got to be really good at your job. That's what keeps you there for a long time. But like, you need a, you need a break, you need an opportunity, you need your timing to be right to get into some of these professional sports positions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, even more important than that is, you know, there's such a huge time commitment to it. Like it's seven months out of the year, 10, 12 hour days every day. I mean, you know how it goes. It's like, you really have to have a passion for it too. It's like when when you have that amount of time that you're committing to something, you can't fake it. <laughs> you might be able to fake it for a week or two, but you're not going to fake it all season. And and that that really translates, especially when you're working with athletes, if the yeah. passion isn't there. Yeah, no, 100%. And then it, your passions change and it's easy to be like 24 and single and really <laughs> passionate about working that hard and traveling and doing all that. And it's awesome. Um, but sometimes your passions and priorities change as you and I were talking about before on I've got a family and I've got kids and they've got games and, um, you know, the things that used to be like the only thing that mattered now, maybe still matter, but not quite as much as some of these other things. And, um, it's good to like someone with you, like the nice thing about going into medical performance professions, like you have a skill set that you're able to adapt and, and help lots of people no matter, no matter what it's, uh, it's a job that really translates across fields and gives you options going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm learning. So it's it's been good. It's been nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to dive into baseball a little bit just to start with and then um kind of circle back around to what you're what you're doing now more of. But um we work with a lot of baseball players. Obviously, one of our facilities is in a in a baseball gym and we've helped a lot of the professional players that off season in the area here in the past. So it's kind of been something that we've been able to help a lot of kids. Um, but you've had an opportunity to work with some of the best 
baseball players in the world, um, MVPs and uh, playoff teams. Have you seen things from a performance standpoint, um, like at our clinic, we'll call them KPIs or like key performance indicators that really set apart maybe the the starters from the role players or the all-stars from the starters or the guys that make it to the major leagues from those minor leaguers that might might play eight, 10 years, like have a successful minor league career, but can never quite get into the actual big leagues. Yeah, I mean, there's it's it's a tough, um, really tough question because I think you ha- you have a spectrum. You have the guys that are just really genetically gifted, um, and they just you put them on a force plate and they just throw up these super crazy numbers, things that you're you know you've never seen before in your life, and you're like, okay, there's there's some genetic gifts in there, and then you have other people, um, you know, who maybe aren't the most athletic, but they have these just really strong work ethics and um, just drive to be the best that they can be. And I think on that side of things, what people don't necessarily understand when it comes to sports and especially baseball is, is that work ethic doesn't mean just going out and um, working really hard, like pushing as much weight as you can and um, running as many miles as you can. It's really comes down to having um, some of these or a lot of these people just have a really, really good understanding of how their body works. They go about their craft um, with kind of a um, just this introspection of like, you know, how am I feeling when this is going wrong or how am I feeling when this is going right? They they spend countless off seasons. So baseball, right? It's minor leagues. You work your way through it. If you make it to the big leagues in four years, you're doing really good. Um, and the people that that tend to have staying power in the big leagues are the ones who learn how their bodies work. And so that starts in the off season, right? You do, let's say it's your first year, first year in minor league ball. And you just spent all this time in high school learning baseball a certain way. Uh, and then you come into minor league baseball and you realize, wow, that's a totally different game. We play every day. We have some travel involved, um, <clears throat> just a lot of different challenges. And so you go into your first offseason and, and you, you know, you're just still trying to feel things out. Some people just rely on their athleticism and kind of do what they did in high school to get through. Um, the people that that have the long term success are the ones who go through the offseason. They have a pretty um thought out program. And then they come into the next season and they realize, Hey, some of this of that program worked and some of that didn't. So then they go into the next off season. They know what to, they know what to tweak or or play around with. Um, Someone who never has um, that proactive state of mind doesn't know what they need to fix going into the next off season. So they end up repeating the same mistakes, if that makes sense. Um, It's like what we say about big leaguers is, if they're not able to throw strikes, they can usually make an adjustment within that inning, if not the next inning. In the minor leagues, it usually takes a couple weeks to make that same adjustment. And then, um, you know, some people just never <laughs> truly figure it out. But but that ability to make those adjustments come with an understanding of your body. It comes to know like, hey, you know, when I pitch in a game, my pelvis tends to anteriorly rotate. So the next day I need to come in and do some stuff to get my pelvis back in alignment. But that takes a lot of, um, you know, learning and asking good questions to the support staff that's around you. 
Um, so maybe that's kind of a long-winded answer. There's like the genetic freaks out there and then those people who really work hard to understand how their body works to be successful. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's honestly one of the best answers that I've heard because it's, from my experience, like just even talking to, whether it's be baseball players or some of the players when I had the opportunity to work in the NFL, that they just had a different mindset. And you could almost, you can almost tell by just talking to them, like without ever watching a move or anything like this guy is a big leaguer. This guy is an all pro like level player versus these other guys that yeah, still all world talents. Like even if you're in triple a in baseball, like you are in the top, you know, 5% of baseball players in the entire world, right? Like they're, they're still so good at that level. Um, but it's just, Sometimes the little things, it's the habits, it's the ability to, um, I think it's interesting you said like work hard and that it's not just about that, but it's the ability to like make sacrifices to like live a high performance lifestyle, like to give up the things that maybe your other minor league teammates like don't want to give up um, to like get yourself to that level. Like those all play a role in, in how you perform and how you can ultimately go out there and recover and, and do the things that you need to do to actually Play on the field. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not a linear process. It's not like, you know, I'm just going straight up and, I, and I'm going to make it. Everyone has little setbacks or things that they can learn from. And, and the people who, who learn those lessons are the ones who continue to, to progress. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. So I'd be curious to kind of build off that just throughout your time in baseball and, and getting the opportunity to work at all those different levels. Um, do you have some core like tenets of your philosophy or your approach to like helping baseball players improve their performance um, that you've really integrated based off of some of those insights? I think the, the biggest thing is, is helping players develop those routines and habits. Like process is so important because um, it allows you to go about your day in a systematic fashion Um and not necessarily get thrown off by bad performances or a bad week. Um, and it it does, it takes a lot to, to trust the process, right? Because you start not doing well, you wanna, you wanna abandon that process and try something new. Um, and that's fine, it's, it's good to, to um, try new stuff and, and learn new things, but have a reason for doing it um, and not just drop everything to, uh, because you feel like something's not being successful right away. And, you know, you, you can kind of work around things. It's like on a bigger scale, it's prepare, perform and reload. Um, I think sometimes we say recover, which is good, but it sounds a little passive. Um, it's not like I'm trying to save bullets. I just want to be able to, to reload my gun as quickly as possible. And in baseball sport where you got to play the next day, um, so having those three things in your head and so then it becomes hey what's my what's my preparation look like what is the process for my preparation what time do i show up um and then next is okay now that i've prepared for practice and we have the game coming up after practice how do i um get ready to perform perform on the field and then after that it's it's the reload but uh i think that's one of the biggest things to try to establish with people right off the bat is, is to have a process um, so that they can go about things day in and day out for years on end. Yeah. 
I think that's awesome. And um, it's interesting. It's one of the the key questions that I really wanted to ask you. And um, I was actually just talking to a few of the baseball players that we work with. Some of them are doing your Sunday camp um, right oh. now. And I was just like, hey, I'm recording this podcast with Josh. And like, the first thing they all said, and I said that is like, oh, he's such a smart guy. I'm like, okay, that's great. I really gotta, I gotta prepare for this. But I was just asking them, what's like, what's something that you really would like me to ask him, or like, would really like to learn? And they all actually, I thought it was interesting. They all ask about routine. Um, so they're all like, what, what do? Yeah, they were like, what do? Ask him like, what do big leaguers do to like get ready for a game, or what do they do the day? Um, we had a pitcher in just this morning. He said like, what does the pitchers do the day after a start? So obviously I know you can't give sweeping recommendations to all people and every player is going to be different, but do you have some examples of like how you help players, like what a routine would look like to either get to kind of get ready for the game and then recover for the game or what they would do throughout a week to like keep their bodies always ready as ready as possible to, to step out on the field and actually play. Yeah. So I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. Obviously things like, um, for a big league schedule, traveling across time zones, going from a night game to a day game. Um, if you're a reliever and you threw back-to-back days, that's going to look a little bit differently. Um, so just with all those little variables, just keeping it a little more broad. Yeah. Yes. If we just assume um, like it's a normal night game and um, uh, usually we would work with a player and figure out, hey, what time does practice start? What time do you have to be on the field to do your field work? And then from there, you can kind of work backwards a little bit. Um, typically, you know, if it was a starter and it was the day after their start, um, they would come in and, and get some soft tissue work with the with the trainer or the physical therapist and just kind of help try to reorientate their body after, you know, throwing in this one direction you know, 150 times with warm-up throws and everything like that, your your body, you know, will have these natural compensations and those compensations are fine. Those are important. So they can pee at a really high level, but, you know, you can't live in those compensations. You know, if you, if you twist something, now you put a little extra stress in another area. And if you're constantly having stress in that area, eventually it's going to break down. So we like to try to get them, you know, back into neutral, if you will. Um, we take them through a kind of an active recovery session in the weight room, which involves total body movements to try to get the the blood flowing oxygen delivered, um, moving some byproducts around from their body healing itself from, from the throwing episodes, but also using that um, active muscle activation to help kind of pull the body back into its, its natural neutral state. Um, And so after that, then they would usually the day after for a starter, we, we tell them not to throw. Um, so that really saves them 30 days or a whole month of, of not throwing. Uh, we still want to get their arm moving around and stuff, but that would be like a day after for, for a starter. And then, so that recovery session kind of sets them up for the rest of the week for the work that they have to do. Um, but it was active. It wasn't like they just came in and laid on a table and threw some Normatex on. We, I mean, we got their body up and moving, blood pumping, uh, temperature up, um, heartbeat going. So just an active process. And it, it is similar to what I'm taking through some of the guys you're talking about. So they get the opportunity to do that. Um, and then like on their bullpen session day, so they're going to go out and they're going to throw their bullpen and, and work on some stuff. We would take them through um some sort of workout now we try to read 
how their body is recovering, where we're at in the season, as far as what the intensity and load of that workout would be. Um, you know, it all comes down to volume for them and we don't want to do too much if their body's starting to fatigue and we want to make sure we're stimulating them in the right ways. Uh, with that much repetition in a season, you're going to, you can get some neurological fatigue. So you got to be pretty conscious of, of what's going on with their neuromuscular system. And there there's ways to test that out. Um, and try to identify, hey, is this just like a muscular, the muscle's breaking down and uh, the infrastructure of the muscle is getting weakened? Or are we just not getting that signal from the brain to the muscle so that it's contracting at an optimal level? Um, so sometimes we might throw them in a pool. Sometimes we might have them doing explosive stuff. It just really depends on um, what we're seeing from a fatigue perspective there. Uh, we can work with the coaching staff a little bit. They may be able to skip a start with the guy or line certain off days up to get an extra day off for those guys. Um, and so that'd be the bullpen day. And then the day after the bullpen, they would come in and do an upper body workout. We like to do that just because, again, we can get these kind of opening up movements for them. Um, and it's more allows for a, a active recovery than it is for actually trying to get in their biceps bigger and stronger. Um, and then the, the day after we do what's called a neural priming, which is we're trying to make sure that the body doesn't go into a total recovery mode. We want it to be stimulated so that the next day when they go in, they can compete at a really high level. Um, so that's kind of the pitcher's routine position players, similar thoughts. We'll try to get them to, to do something, um, once a series, uh, but at the same time, every day we want them coming in and doing their prep work, their mobility work, um, kind of rolling out and just the, the check-ins with their bodies so that they can figure out like, oh, wait, you know, if I'm rolling on my lat and I feel a little tightness there, then we can try to catch those sorts of things early. So even if they're not working out, we encourage them 100% to get in, to get into the weight room and, and go through um, a lot of movement patterns and, and um, kind of stretching mobility, those sorts of things. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's fascinating. And and I think people, people that aren't around pro sports, like just don't understand how much thought and effort and intent goes into every, like these guys, like, yeah, you could say they go and work out. Cause that's always what people ask us. Like, well, what, how often does a professional pitcher work out during the season? And you're like, well, what do you mean? By, what do you mean right. by working yeah. out? Like, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think that people just don't understand everything that goes in and just the intentionality of what you're doing. And, and, um, so I guess I have a couple of follow-up questions. One would be whether you want to talk about like what high school players could learn from it, or like now that you're kind of helping some high school players, what mistakes you see them making in their routines. Cause obviously, obviously they're not big leaguers. Like they have to go to class. They don't have I mean, they can't typically go and work out in the morning before a start that night. And they're probably not able to get in the weight room after, after a start that evening. So there's still some constraints and they're also 15, 16, 17, not 28, 29, 33. Um, so there's very different populations, but, um, do you see some like low hanging fruit that high schoolers could learn from that routine or kind of mistakes that, that you see them making that a big leaguer or professional athlete would never, would never do or never make? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, and I, and I'm still learning. I'm still trying to like, you know, feel a lot of this stuff out. Uh, I have a 10 year old myself, so I can, you know, he's still a little ways from the high school level, but, um, 
you know, understand some of the challenges there just from a basic movement pattern sort of thing. But I think, you know, when you talk about low hanging fruit, like what's the low hanging fruit here? I think, I think it would be having a preparation routine. So something that they can take out onto the field half an hour before practice, you know, activate their glutes, get their core fired up, go through some mobility stuff, some active movements. Um, a lot of what I, what I'm currently seeing right now is like really tight thoracic regions and whether that's from sitting on a phone in these weird postures all the time, um, and super, super tight hips. Like, um, that's really been an eye opener as I watch some of these kids go through some of the, the movement patterns that we have is, is how tight those hips are. Um, and whether that's just related to, uh, having to sit at a desk all day, or maybe some of the lifting programs that some of these guys are on that aren't very well balanced. Um, so that would be one, one low hanging fruit. Cause they wouldn't have to worry about, Oh, when should I lift? When should I lift? It's like, um, all we're all we should really tr be trying to do as strength and conditioning coaches is to help our athletes move better so that so that when they go to perform they can perform at an optimal level now does sometimes moving better mean getting really strong and powerful yes but it also means a whole bunch of other things um and you know as a strength and conditioning coach sometimes we you know we think we we have to justify that by having them lift a ton of weight but you know, there is a certain amount of elasticity or whip to athletic movements. And that's why I believe mobility um, and having the ability to move through range of ranges of motion um, in a proper and proper movement patterns is really important. Uh, yeah. So that, I, go ahead. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's awesome. And I think it's funny, but I mean, I, I kind of obviously you and I chatted before and and it's something that I see a lot, but I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head when, you know, I was asking about key performance indicators and you didn't say anything. And this is the arguments that we hear a lot. There's nothing about like, oh, it has to be two times body weight deadlifts. It's got to be uh, how much they can press X amount or, you know, there's we just see very little correlation between. I mean, I guess you could say there's probably not you probably did not meet very many weak uh, big leaguers that like could not go through basic strength moves movements with, you know, an exceptional amount of weight for normal people, but like they can almost just do that rolling out of bed at this point of their careers. <laughs> like they've, right. they've lifted their whole life. And so I, I think you said it to me the first time we met, but like that people have like this closed mind, closed off mindset, I think in the general population of like what the weight room looks like. And like my kid has to go in there and do this and like yeah like most 14 year olds do have to get stronger like that is probably a low-hanging fruit for them but um maybe in the middle of the season isn't the time to be working on getting stronger like maybe it's um doing some of these other things in the weight room that might impact on-field performance more when you're actually trying to perform at a high level yeah yeah 100 and i think um you know you you have to really understand what, you know, there's a plus and minus to everything. So when I'm lifting really heavy weight, is my muscle getting stronger? Yes. But what are the other adaptations that are occurring at the same time to the body? Like where the muscle and tendon join, there are some um, 
things that are occurring there from an adaptational response to the body, the tendon itself, because of the stresses of lifting heavy, are going to um, change based on that stress level. And then where the tendon attaches to the bone is also going to change. So those adaptational responses of the tendon are not the same as muscle. So muscle can be getting stronger. And now suddenly you're making that tendon very, very tight. Um, and again, if the body is not able to move appropriately, and now suddenly you're adding all this additional tightness to a structure that is really important to movement, um, you can really mess things up, especially when you have a growing skeleton. Um, that, that stuff gets a little compounded. But you also mentioned something else there, which I also C is a very low hanging fruit. And that is the preparation that these guys do prior to the season starting. Um, I realize some of them are playing two sports or they have other things that are going on that maybe prevent them from performing their best, but, uh, and maybe Wisconsin too, with the weather, but the biggest area I think is uh, people's throwing programs, especially from pitchers prior to the season starting is just, um, is is really not at a good level right now so i mean if there's anything that that i hope to do in the next year or so it's it's maybe figure out a way to to enable um these players to have a better preseason throwing program yeah i we could go down a whole separate podcast on that yeah. topic um but i will welcome someone else to help me beat the drum on uh, the first time you touch a baseball should not be at high school baseball tryouts um, <laughs> right. or else we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be the week before either. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you look at all these pitch count limits and um, I agree, it's not a perfect solution, but it's almost, it's too late. Like, you know, a kid goes in and his pitch count is 60. It, that still might be too many for him if he, if he hasn't thrown enough. So. Yeah. And that's what we, we kind of share with people that like, I really hate the term of like overuse injuries and, and I mean, yes, there are some injuries that are like truly overuse, but we more say that it's like, we think it's often they're doing too much too soon after doing too little for too long. That yeah. it's like yeah. this extended, it's more the extended, like there are times that we need extended rest, but it, extended rest comes with a consequence and it's yeah. an extended buildup. And like, yeah. I'm all for having, especially young kids, you know, take time off of throwing and I, I'm never going to argue with that at all, but it's just like, understand that it comes with a cost of you've got to build up slower and you just have to accept that that it's like in the nature of the of the of the choice that you make when you do shut down for a period of time right right yeah it's just uh yeah it's amazing sometimes somehow people get it and if you haven't had this as a good analogy for you the analogy that i find people get the best and i'm not sure why is i'm like okay if you just like left the weight room for eight weeks and you like did not touch a weight, would you come back in and put the most weight that you've ever put on a deadlift or a squat and then like try to crawl into the bar and just start maxing out right away? And they're like, well, no, that would be silly. I'm like, okay, well, what would you do? Like, well, I'd probably like go in and like use lighter weight. I'm like, yeah, you'd like do lighter weight more often. Right. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm okay. That's what we need to do throwing wise. Like we cannot go from nothing to jumping on a mound and throwing 20 pitches in a bullpen. Like you've got to get like low effort stress, accumulate volume, get your tissues used to everything just like you would with it, with that. And 
some sometimes it like opens people eye, people's eyes um but yeah i don't know it's a it is a big problem yeah yeah <laughs> well, i'm glad someone else recognized it too <laughs> yes yeah yeah exactly um okay i had another kind of specific question um and this might this may or may not be actually from one of the uh kind of minor league big league guys that we support um he's been very interested in and so i think you're calling him like your like that reload workout um but he's been very interested in hearing some of his teammates using bfr um for recovery um and i know that's something that you've used so um how do you like those reload type workouts how do you structure those workouts um, I know you're using some of the BFR stuff, like how does that get incorporated? Um, any, any tips for people that are trying to figure out like, what do I do after that day after a game? How do I structure that workout? Yeah. So, um, you know, BFR or blood flow restriction, you're, you're basically occluding the muscles ability to receive oxygen, which helps it work. Um, and then also the, um, the return of blood out of the area. And so we, it's not something that we use all the time. So just something to be cautious about, but I do think it is a good tool that allows you to utilize um, a lot less load, but your body interprets this um, stressful response. So you get a, a pretty good um, kind of uh, recovery response from the body. Uh, so there's, there's uh, three different ways that you could potentially use it. One is, static where you're just kind of laying there so um sometimes after a start or the day after on the recovery day we would do a static bfr so we would attach the cuffs around um the legs and just put them on cycles of of five on two off five on three off something like that so that they elicit kind of a systemic response from the body which helps with recovery so that's one way um that we could potentially utilize the day after and then you got to look at like some of the things surrounding that, like why would we choose that over an active one? So an active one might be if we go through their arm care program um, with a cuff around their throwing arm, which then um, kind of elicits a response throughout that whole arm, but they've also seen a little bit throughout the, the whole body there. Um, and then there's the one where it's an actual workout. So you're taking them through kind of bigger, larger multi-joint movements and um, <clears throat> going through things that way. So, you know, the, the timing of those would be related to kind of some more specific events. I think someone um, who's at the minor league level would have some of the assistance of, of their staff to help walk them through some of those things i would say like if you're a high schooler playing around with bfr or a college kid playing around um bfr uh if you start to feel like you have maybe some dead legs or something like that then you know a static would be probably a good idea to help kind of refresh them in that manner um that's one area where we've where we've had some success where it's just kind of that um just kind of dead feeling and and i'll be interested to hear some of the ways you you guys have played around with it too after this um and then the the other thing is you could also with that that dead leg feeling is use it for you know one of your your leg workouts or something so now you have less intensity on there um <clears throat> and you're still getting a pretty good hormonal response and then the, the um you know if you're doing some of your rotator cuff stuff 
you could, um, you know, maybe do it after every third start or something like that. Again, you don't have, when you're doing a BFR workout, you don't have the same stress on, on your ligaments and tendons that you would with a normal workout. So that's something to consider because you do want those stresses at times on those things. It's just a matter of where you're at in the season and how you're, how you're feeling. So I don't know if that gives a specific enough answer, but there's, there's just a lot of variables, as you know, that you need to try to tease out to determine what the best intervention is. Um, How do you, how how do you guys typically, what are some of your guys things that'd be interesting here? Yeah. So we, I mean, we largely use it on the rehab side for like the load compromised athletes where they're, you know, for whatever reason, they're just not able to handle, um, the same amount of, um, like load as they typically were, um, often due to pain where it's like, okay, um, let's say we're, you know, somebody with a knee injury or something and like squatting with any type of weight hurts, but they can do body weight squats and go through the range of motion without discomfort. For us, it's like an easy thing. Like, okay, well, that's where we're starting anyways, but we know we're not stressing you enough. So to like actually drive any real adaptation or change so we can add the BFR um, to at least get some type of muscle stimulus from that low load environment. Um, so you use it in that way um, quite a bit for just different things um, with specific other injuries like ACL or really anywhere Um you know, for like accessory stuff at the end of workouts and really trying, we have like a true muscular asymmetry deficit. Um, there's a lot of like research on the injury side that if you take low load all the way to fatigue, um, versus BFR to fatigue, like they're about equal, but you get to the fatigue a lot faster with the BFR. So just from an efficiency standpoint, it's like, rather than sitting there and doing just hundreds of, of these squats, we can, add the BFR, go low weight. So it's very, very safe, hit fatigue earlier and drive that adaptation that we want. So we've used it there. Um, we've done some interesting stuff. Um, there's some research with pain where we'll use it in a warm up, like somebody again, that's dealing with some type of joint soreness, whether it's elbow soreness, um, shoulder soreness, knee soreness, whatever doing like BFR in a warm up. So we might have them jump on a bike and pedal for five minutes with the BFR on has a really good uh, reduction in pain. And we've seen that quite a bit where we can't do something. We'll like, go do that. We'll come back in. And that thing that hurt before no longer hurts. Not that it's gone forever. It's not like a magic trick, but now we can actually go through that rehab process that we wanted to go through that day without limitations. Um, so we've done that. And then uh, early in rehab programs for conditioning, um, we've done some BFR walking or biking. So for bait in baseball, um, after Tommy John, when they're still in their big brace, you can't, you're like kind of limited in what your options are, but you want to keep that cardiovascular system going. We'll put BFR cuffs on both legs, have them hop on a bike or walk. And, uh, it's usually a struggle to make it to 10 minutes the first yeah. time. Yeah. Um, uh, but then you get that really good systematic response and, and kind of can help use it to maintain conditioning. So we've done that quite a bit with, with athletes as well. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I'm curious too, cause I, I, I've read some of the knee stuff related to, you know, BFR and the analgesic effect. Um, you know, now that's got me thinking a little bit, you know, the cuff could be a similar kind of thing. You have a little, you know, cuff tendinosis or something to yeah. get it on there for a pain relief. Uh, yeah. We've had really good response. I mean, I don't want to say it's like, it's not like amazing. And, and we always tell people like, 
this isn't a magic trick just because we did this and now your pain's gone. That doesn't mean that it's not back in five hours. Like it's not the, it's not the cure by itself, but by using it, now we can get into the things that we know we need to do to restore function of that muscle joint, whatever the case may be without having pain affecting your brain's inputs and how that area is functioning. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've, it, it has not, I've talked to some therapists that like, it feels like it looks like sometimes that BFR has replaced all traditional loading. And that's, that's very much not how we utilize it. It's definitely like an adjunct in certain areas, but when we need it, it can be really effective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's human nature too, especially with athletes, right? Oh, if it worked once and it feels so, I mean, there, there's, you feel it when you're doing yeah. BFR. So it's like, oh, I need to do this every day. And it's like, yeah. everyone no. loves the pump. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Just like anything else. It's a tool that has a, a time and a place and um, you just want to be cautious about how much you use it. Yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, that's really interesting. And I, I have not really heard much on the recovery side. So I uh, really, I think that was really insightful. So yeah. well, I want to shift at least a little bit away from baseball because I know it's easy to, you kind of get pigeonholed, right? Like you're a baseball guy, you're a bas- yeah. basketball guy, whatever the case may be um, because of your career, but I know now that you're out on your own running thrive health and performance. So what types of things are you doing with, um, with that business and what are kind of your, your goals for helping people in the community and in our area now? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of twofold and it's, it's maybe a reason why, like, you know, I ended up going to school for so long because I am really just interested in the human body and how it works and everything we can do to help, help it work the best it can for as long as possible. Um, And so me coming up on 50 years old, like it's, it's a passion of mine to figure out like, okay, how do I, um, you know, maintain my health so that when I do get older and and retire and have grandkids that I can enjoy all the stuff that I really enjoy doing. Um, So one half of, of thrive health and performance is, is helping you youth athletes, but the other half of it is to help, um, you know, either it's your weekend warriors or, or people like me so that they can continue to do the things that they love to do. Um, you know, you do get aches and pains when you play sports, um, especially if you only do it on the weekends. We talk about the throwing program and load versus capacity stuff. But, um, you know, maybe people who <clears throat> have invested so much time in their businesses that they've maybe sacrificed a little bit of their health. Certainly, I know what it's like to travel a lot and how hard it is to um, stay in shape, eat healthy on the road all the time. So just helping that segment of the population kind of be the best that they can be as well and utilize maybe some of the, the techniques and tools that I was able to be exposed to working in professional sports with, you know, more of a general population. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's something that I really relate to at our clinic too, because it's like, we, we really do specialize in athletes and we, we help, 70, 80% of high school, college professional athletes recover from injuries. Um, but we also help the person that's trying to run the first 5k that's um, wanting to get into fitness or work with their personal trainer, CrossFit. Um, I help golfers like, and we try to apply the same kind of what you're doing, like the same mindset that we have when we're treating the professional athlete that's going back to compete on the field. We might have different standards. We might have different goals. We might push them slightly like, it might need different levels of stress tolerance and load capacity, but the same principles all apply no matter what. And I think sometimes as medical providers, we just see people like sell 
general population clients short and like not push them hard enough, not like, I don't want to say treat them the same way. Cause it's not like anyone's not trying to help them, but like just not expecting more out of them and what their bodies can do. So I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's a progression there, right? And you mentioned it load and capacity and we just have to try to help them navigate that, but certainly, you know, physical activity, um, good nutrition and stuff, you can regain a pretty good amount of, you know, what you, when you were thriving as a youth, it's just yeah. learning and being taught how to do that because in, in society nowadays, we're, we're so far away from, <laughs> from those things. That yeah, are, absolutely. And then you mentioned you have the second side kind of helping with youth athletes. I know you're doing some stuff with like youth baseball in the area, but what, uh, what kind of athletes or what are you doing on the, on the more athletic side with thrive? Yeah. So initially, you know, just starting up baseball was obviously the, 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 um, easiest thing. And it happened to be baseball season two when I was starting all of this stuff. But as we start to move forward, I know there's, um, you know, a lot on the, the speed and agility side that, that can be addressed. Um, and then, you know, again, using some of the tools for other sports as football season comes up basketball season so that we can get good, um, insights into the athletes we're working with and have the most appropriate interventions to help them succeed at the sport that they're doing. Um, you know, a lot of what I do is transferable to other sports. It just has to be kind of tailored more towards like whatever that sport is like you're dealing with uh with a golfer i mean you're still dealing with a lot of elastic energy you're just moving through different planes so making sure that they have the mobility in those planes and generate power through those ranges of motion or basketball you know what are there some of the things that we need to consider for basketball athletes um so we it it will start to expand and and i think some of the tools that you know that you've you've played around with as well are, are um can be very helpful to, to some of these younger athletes as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited to, uh, excited to, to see what you do with it and, and get somebody else in the community. That's, that's really passionate about helping people really perform at their highest level and, and maintain it for a long time. I think it's, uh, it's exciting to see, see more people jumping in the fight and trying to help. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it. It's, you know, you, you've been doing it a while now, so I appreciate all your insights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then last question, just as we wrap up, if people want to learn more about you or reach out to um, hear about what you're doing or try to work with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, yeah, so I have a website, thrivehealthandperformance.com that you can go to and get a little bit more on my background and, and some of the different individualized programs that I'm running. But, um, you know, some of these things have, have come together just because a group of people reached out to me and they wanted to do something specific for you know, their groups. So I'm also open to doing those sorts of things. Um, there is a Facebook page as well, where I'm trying to get out some of these concepts more into the community. And that's uh, Thrive Health and Performance on Facebook, if you want to check that out. Perfect. I will uh, make sure we get those links in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can go ahead and click on, on the show notes and uh, those links will be included in there so that you can learn more about what Josh has going on and, and reach out to him. If it sounds like it might be something you're interested in, interested in doing. So Josh, I know you're busy. I know you got kid, kid responsibilities probably tonight. So I really appreciate your time and, uh, sharing some insights today. And I look forward to more of these talks again in the future. Yeah, no, it's been fun. Thanks a lot. All right. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you guys on the next episode. 
Hey, wait a minute. Are you a baseball player that's getting ready for your season right now? Do you want to learn what it takes to keep your arm healthy and perform at a high level all season long? Let's face it. Injuries and arm injuries in particular are only expanding in baseball right now. If you get hurt, it is going to impact your development, your ability to compete and help your team, as well as just the fun of playing the sports you love with your teammates and friends. We have a free online mini course that goes through exactly what you need to do to prepare your arm and to keep your arm healthy all season long. You can find this course and sign up at the link in our bio on Instagram at kinetic underscore SMP or in the show notes to this podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. Hit that link, sign up to get access to the course today.